Lazy Gardener podcast. Welcome to the Lazy Gardener podcast, and Rob Foster is here, and we're talking July. Hi, Rob. How you doing? Hello, Ian. I'm fine, thanks. Especially this month in July. We're getting to the height of summer, and we're really blazing away now, and everything is starting to bloom, and all the hard work we've done previously, it's all starting to come to fruition. Yeah, July, fantastic month in the garden. Very much so. We're going to start with bedding plants on this podcast. I want to start with bedding plants, because that seems to be the biggest plant, you know, all the plants that people are putting in. Now, I would say check your bedding plants regularly for rain damage. Because after rainstorms, the leaves are very gentle and very very fragile and can get marked. So pick up, also pick off rotting foliage to prevent the spread of grey mould. Now, grey mould, it's a little bit like a bit of frost on the leaves and that, or on your seed trays. And its proper name is botrytis. Now, grey mould, it, once it goes unchecked, it'll kill all your plants. So if there's any damage or any grey mould on your leaves, take them off. Yellow flecking on the upper surface of the leaves also indicates hail damage. So take them off as well because they'll start rotting. Now, Apply liquid feed to promote a good display. It's very important that you feed them regularly. Now, when you feed them, we look at these vast array of different fertilisers. And all you need is a good big bottle, because it's cheaper if you buy you know, a larger bottle, of tomato feed. And tomatoes, although it's called tomato feed, it, all it is is a high potash feed. It's got a high concentration of potash, which is what your flowers need. So you can feed your hanging baskets, your tomatoes, and all your bedding plants with it. Absolutely perfect. And it saves you buying all loads of different fertilisers. Now, dailies are growing away as well. And dailies are very nice. They're brilliant, but you've got to be a little bit careful with them. If you remove any developing buds from the sides and leave the top one growing, you'll finish up with one massive big flower so then the ideal for cutting but you can also leave two or three buds on and get smaller blooms but don't leave them all on unless you want a big bush type thing pinching them out as i say it, it, it just leave and leaving just one flower at the top and this will increase the quality of the stems as i said great for cutting and keep a watch out for pests Aphids are a common problem, but earwigs will soon decimate the soft leaves of dahlias. It's one of the biggest enemies of the leaves. The best way to trap these pests is to fill a small plant pot with straw and shove it upside down on top of a cane that's supporting the plant. The earwigs will seek refuge in the straw during the daytime and can be emptied out every morning. Deadhead bedding plants regularly to ensure continuous supply. So you're keeping the pests under control, the earwigs under control. Then all your bedding plants, the final word is... Is deadheading because the more you take the deadheads off, the more the plant wants to reproduce itself. And if you take away them dying heads that's producing the seeds, the plant will want to produce more flowers to produce more seeds. And that's when you get the beautiful displays. Can you do that by picking that off, or would you recommend us using the shears for that? You know, just no, like, just pull them off. Right, they're better off to be pulled off. I mean, sometimes on different things you need to cut them. On other things you need to pull them. On rhubarb, you twist them off. And deadheading plants, you pull them off. So that's fine. Echiums. Yeah. The towering echium blooms are often seen in the southwest of England. That's where they're very popular. But they're getting very popular up here now, particularly with schools. But they can be, as I say, they can be enjoyed in other parts of the country if you can give them some protection in winter. Echiums are easy to raise from seed in summer. Fill pots or seed trays with multi-purpose compost and scatter the seeds on the surface. Cover it with vermiculite and keep the compost damp. Germination should take place, you know, in a few weeks. 
Prick out the seed, seedlings individually into three-inch pots, then pot on each time the roots fill the container or the pot, using John Innes number two, ideally, but multi-purpose will still be okay. For tall spikes around 13 foot tall, grow Echium piniana and its pink fountain and snow tower cultivars. they the giant ones. They grow long, tall spikes. Beautiful. They really are a, a really showy plant. Yeah, they look great, don't they? Can we yeah. talk a little bit about veg right now? Because um, yeah. in July, can you still sow the veg? It's very important that in July, people sort of rack back now with sowing veg. But if you sow runner beans, for example, you will get, when they come in into, into fruiting, they will produce beans lovely tender green beans right up to the first frost the others are starting dying off and they're getting hard and unmanageable but they will still be producing nice tender juicy beans so you can plant them now and it's not too late to sow any vegetables in our area which you can harvest through late summer and into autumn as i've mentioned french and runner beans are ideal for sowing every 10 days until the end of july water well to encourage good pod setting that, and as I say, if you keep them watered, you'll be fine with them. And make some sowings in July, and then you'll get them right through to winter. What about fennel? Yeah, fennel. Fantastic plant. Fennel can be sown once a week until late summer. Sow three or four seeds to a station, and then thin to the strongest plant. Actually, I only sow one seed to each station. I, I, I put you're, a, you're a maverick. Yeah, because they're normally they're good at germinating. But if you put four seeds in, because they aren't expensive, then you're going to be guaranteed to get one. You can give stir-fries hot touch by adding leafy oriental brassicas. Try Russian kale or hot choy, some, or one of the mixers that are available. These are very easy to grow, and as I said, they pour a bit of a kick into your stir-fries. Swiss chard, that's a, a nice plant that's becoming... It looks a bit like rhubarb, and they're very uh, tasty, and perpetual spinach. You, these can be sown until September, sow directly into the garden or in containers of multipurpose compost or John Innes compost. And as I've said, don't forget, these can be sown right up till September. They can be harvesting some lovely charred stems or leaves. They're beautiful. You can eat both of them, you know, the leaves or the stems. Coriander, no, that's a herb This is best sown every week or so. And a few leaves cut off regularly. This will delay the plant running to seed. So if you keep cutting a few leaves off, they, it will delay running to seed because they're very prone to this. So we try to delay that as much as possible. Now, winter radishes sown in mid to late summer are an unusual crop to try. The large red, black, purple, yellow or green skin roots can be used raw or cooked like swede or turnips. You love those, don't you? They really are very, very nice. Just here's an interesting one. Uh, in July, I, I planted um, a sunflower. Was that too late? No, no. Uh, you put in July, it's... A little bit late, but what happens when you put that in, in the, the ground's warm, the weather conditions are ideal, so it's going to grow away unchecked, and it will catch up, and you will get some lovely heads on them. Because I've said before, planting or sowing too early, if you get a very cold spell, then the plant gets a check. In other words, when we say check, it stops growing, and then it takes a while to restart. So those that sown without check will overtake the others ah, so you, you would suggest maybe june july june july for your sunflower because because they, they're going to be coming out aren't they late late august into yeah. early september yeah that's right yeah 
And of course, the birds love them. The seed heads they're fantastic for the birds. This isn't a good thing, is it, for the garden? Powdery mildew. Yeah, now this causes a lot of problem, and I can offer you a solution to it. Powdery mildew it affects a wide range of herbaceous perennials and annuals, shrubs, trees, fruit, and vegetables. Look for greyish-white powdery coating, and it does look like a powdery coating, a little bit like talcum powder, but a bit duller in colour, which may later turn brown and sort of felt it on the leaves, stems, shoots, buds, flowers and fruit. Leaves often turn yellow and drop off. Buds may fail to open, another symptom and sign, and shoots may die. Now, if you improve growing conditions by emulsion the plants with bulky organic matter to retain moisture, because one of the biggest causes, there's two types of powdery mildew, but one of the biggest causes is a dry atmosphere. Container-grown plants will need regular watering and improve the air circulation in and around foliage. And if you prune any overcrowded stems or branches and control weeds, you can use a suitable fungicide. Resistant fruit and veg cultivars are also available. But what you can do is a system I've been using for a long, long time is the weed, uh, there's a weed called mare's tail. And if you don't know what I'm on about, then you look at, but a lot of gardeners will. They grow like little Christmas trees in the garden, about six or seven inches high. And as I said, they resemble little Christmas trees. It's the oldest weed known to man. They go back millions of years, before the dinosaurs, even before me. So if you get a couple of pounds of that, them, and boil them, then strain the juice off, leave it to stand for two days, no longer, the longer you leave it, the stronger it becomes. As I say, strain that off, and then dilute it to the colour of tea, and spray that on your plants. Now, this will not cure powdery mildew, but it will prevent it. So if you, if you plague with this problem... If you do that, spray that onto it, you will prevent it taking a hold. What about growing herbs, parsley, thyme, sage, that kind of thing? Well, I'm a big, I'm into herbs big time now. I never used to be, a bit of a stick in the wood at one time with, with regards to herbs. But parsley, thyme, now thyme's a good one. If, you, if you've got a, a drive that's concrete and got a few cracks in it, or even paving with the cracks in them, with the, you know, the paving slab joint. If you just rake them out and sow some thyme seeds and just cover it over with a bit of compost, they will grow away in between and they look absolutely nice. But the best thing is, as you walk by them and catch them with your trousers and your feet, they release this fantastic aroma. Absolutely beautiful. So that's just a little tip with those. But as I said, parsley, thyme, sage, basil and chimes can be grown on a south-facing windowsill. So you can grow them in the windowsill, as I say. Herbs can also be planted in hanging or wall-mounted baskets, which I tend to favour. But consider growing herbs in raised beds or containers. It's important that you grow certain herbs in containers, such as mint. If you don't, it runs rampant. Chives, lovage, sweet cheryl and parsley can be grown in moist, shady conditions. So if you've got a shady corner of the garden, don't worry. Bung some chives in there, some lovage or sweet cheryl and some and parsley. And do you, do you always keep mint separate? Yeah, you keep mint separate for the simple reason it's so rampant. What you need to do is put it in, you can put it in a bucket or something of that nature and sink it into the ground. But make sure if you do that, 
that the bucket is sticking at least an inch to two inches above the soil level. Otherwise, the stems will come over and root, and away it goes again. And you've got a whole garden full of you've mint. Got, oh, but I love it. I love mint. If you're into your um, Cuban-style cocktails, yeah. then yeah. then you then, then yeah. you quids in. But yeah. uh, if you're not into them, then yeah. you can't really use that yeah. amount of mint. Any big-leafed herb like mint, you can also, in, you can get in through winter, but you can also freeze it. If you get an ice cube tray, fill it with water, put some leaves into it, so when it freezes, you've got an ice cube with a mint inside, a leaf inside. Then when you come to put it in your potatoes or you're cooking, just drop it in, you know, and it boils away, melts the ice straight away, and you've got your... Uh, oh, nice leaf there. This is the reason why we get you to do this podcast. That, that's a tip and a half. Right, wisteria pruning. Once established, wisterias are vigorous and need pruning. Because I must say, wisterias are one of my most favourite plants. They really, really are nice. Remind me of the old cottage gardens. As well as tidying up the appearance, uh, pruning will do a lot of other things, such as it improves air circulation and allows sunlight in, helping to ripen young stems and boost next year's bud formation. Summer pruning should be carried out six to eight weeks after flowering. Start by tying in any new shoots that are needed to extend the existing framework. So if you're making them trading it somewhere, you can let those grow. Just Just tie them in. And also, if you want to fill any gaps or replace worn out branches. If necessary, extend the support, which should be sturdy, as older branches, they can get very woody and very heavy. So make sure you put them uh, supports in very safe, because they look absolutely brilliant, the plant, but nothing's no worse than going out in the morning and find all your, your, your structures collapsing all over the place. Now, you can use thick galvanised wire threaded through vine eyes. That's one of the popular ones and they're screwed into the wall and these uh, will support your, your, your wisteria with no problem whatsoever or you can nail wooden battens to a fence and once again use that method so you time to those but sh- shorten this season's long whisper shoots to one foot so you shorten this season's long whisper shoots to one foot cutting just above a leaf and that's a you now find these plants they send these wispy growths out and if you cut shorten them to one foot and they say cut just above a leaf but make sure that you've got your wisteria fastened securely to the wall or to the fence they can look absolutely fabulous oh, can't they? they really i mean when i see them upside of walls on these cottages i have to stop and have a look at them and admire them they really talk to me they really do yeah but they have to be looked after don't they you can't just Correct. leave them very much so yeah now, finally, uh, for July, a bit on lawns, because um, yeah. I, I suppose these are the, the lawns are the things that you have to look after the most, aren't they, in the garden? Yeah, well, people think they pour a lawn down. They're the easiest things to grow and the hardest things to maintain. And people pour a lawn down thinking that's made sorted. But it's not. They're very high maintenance. So you feed a lawn to increase the vigour. And if you feed it, it helps to prevent weeds and moss from becoming established. Oh, man, I have got so many weeds on my lawn. It's ridiculous. Yeah. There's more weeds than lawn. Exactly, because you have, you know, probably not got the time to give it the attention it should have. I mean, I've seen lawns that's... Uh, you look at them, and they're like a billiard table. Perfect. Spike-hardened ground with a fork to a depth of at least four inches, and that helps water penetration. It also eases compaction. 
So well-managed lawns have good drought resistance, but do not use weed killers on drought-affected lawns and avoid heavy raking or scarification if they're drought-affected. But to say if you fork them well, it, it helps compaction, and when it rains, it gets some air in there and some water in there. And remember to keep all your plants watered throughout the warm weather, including hanging baskets, even after rain showers, as they are normally in a sheltered position, such as under eaves, little and often, and you will be able to enjoy the pleasure of gardening. Do not shirk your responsibilities when it comes to watering. Now, if somebody wants to ask you a question or, or find out more about The Lazy Gardener, Rob Foster, what do they need to do, Rob? Yes, you can contact me via my website, The Lazy Gardener. Dot org. When it gets to the summer, you kind of think of the summer months as the, as the time where you've done all your work for the rest of the year and you get to lay back on, on your on your bench yeah. and look at that, but there's still quite a lot to be done. There's still there? quite a lot to be done in, in, in the summer months, but at the same time, don't forget the most important thing. Do take time to sit back and enjoy it. The Lazy Gardener Podcast. Go well in the garden, go well in life.